1: morning, Christ Fellowship. How are we doing? doing our, ah, you got to do a little bit better than that. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, so we're awake now. We're good. We're good. I like that. I like that. I like the energy. It's awesome. Well, my name is Eddie. For those of you guys who don't know, if it's your first time here at Christ Fellowship, thank you so much for making Christ Fellowship your home this Sunday morning. I'd like to give a quick shout-out to everybody who's watching online, either through Facebook or through YouTube. We appreciate you. Thank you for joining us today. Well, we are right at the tail end, the tail end of a series called The Promise of Christmas. And how fitting for us to be at the tail end of this series, because guess what? Christmas is literally right around the corner. How many of you guys are ready for Christmas right now? Raise your hand. Oof, man. That just tells me there's some people that right after service, they got some shopping to do. That's so all I know. Is I'm, I'm just putting it out there. That's all I'm saying. You know, Amazon Prime is your friend. If you have it, just, you know, put in that there. All right. <laughs> well, we are right at the tail end of a series called The Promise of Christmas. And so far, So far, for the first two weeks of this series, we have explored two amazing topics, two really, I would say, super solid topics. The first week, we spoke about the promise of his birth. And Pastor Carlos was telling us that when Jesus came to earth, when God became flesh, when heaven literally touched earth, Jesus' appearance here for us. Was the greatest gift that we could ever get. But Pastor Carl explained to us like any gift, if it's never opened, if it's never received, what are we doing with it? It's just there, it's not being used. So it would be imperative for us to open up that gift to receive it because that's the only way it works. Last week, Elliot. Elliot knocked it out the park. Last week, Elliot spoke to us about the promise of his death, Jesus' death. He explained to us what atonement really means. He also explained to us the importance of his sacrifice. Elliot gave us this really cool nugget. I had to write it down. I want to share it with you guys because it really impacted me. He said this about the whole entire situation. He said, we owed. We owed. We owed. You owed, I owed, everybody watching online, you guys owed, the whole entire world owed. What do we owe? We owed God blood. We owed God blood. But because of Jesus, he came in, he said, no, 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 don't worry about it. You don't have to do it. I'll do it. We owed, but he paid. Amazing. His birth his death. What do you think follows after that? His resurrection, his birth, his death, his resurrection. Today, we're going to be talking about the promise of his resurrection and what that means for every single one of us here today and everybody watching online. But can I be honest with you guys for a quick second? Because I like to be honest. There is a lot more meaning to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than just he rose from the grave. There is. And in doing a lot of research on this topic and doing a lot of exploration on it, I have found out that when we ever talk about resurrection, not particularly here, but with anybody else who is a believer, we always tend to kind of just scratch the surface of what, resurrection is. I mean, don't get me wrong. Resurrection, the resurrection of Christ, the fact that he rose from the grave for you, for me, for everybody in the entire world, that will always be supremely important. That will always be massively important. I'm not taking anything away from the resurrection, but I have a question for you. What does that mean to you? What does it mean to you? How does that change your life? How does that truth impact your everyday? Have we become numb to this life-altering historical moment in history? Have we become numb to it? uh, Not too long ago. The reason why I say that is because not too long ago, I realized that when we usually have a conversation about the resurrection, it's sort of mentioned as like a passing comment. Let me show you what I mean by that. A few months ago, I was having uh, lunch with somebody at the coffee house right over here, uh, shameless promotion. Uh, and I was sitting down. We're having a you know, nice little lunch, you know, some bread, you know, whatever. And uh, as I was having a conversation with this person, he was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're talking about what else we're going to be talking about. We're talking about Jesus, Right. And as we're talking about Jesus, he's like, oh, yeah, Jesus, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, he's on the cross, you know, he got stabbed, you know, um, and, you know, he died, and then, you know, he was in a tomb, three days later, he rose, you know, blah, 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 blah. ma'am, ma'am, yes, I would like a Greek salad, yes, but I want the, the dressing, I want it on the side, the dressing, no, no, I don't want the dressing on top of the salad, because that makes it really soggy, I want to be able to have the dressing on the side, because I like to take my individual lettuce leaves, dip them in the dressing, and then eat it that way, and my chicken, I want it well done, Eddie, you want anything? No, no, I'm good, man. Can I have a seltzer with that? A seltzer? Yeah, good. Awesome. Eddie, what were we talking about again? We're talking about the resurrection, dude. We're talking about Jesus Christ. How is that not like, how can you just forget about something like that? Has it become a passing comment in conversation? Is it not given its importance anymore? Is it because we've only scratched the surface of it, that we haven't gone deep into it, that we haven't explored the mysteries of what it really means for you and for me, that it's just mentioned like that? The resurrection of Jesus Christ is awesome, it is amazing. And there's something so cool about it that it holds the key to something in your life that can change the trajectory of it completely, shift it into a completely different direction. There's something about the resurrection that can change the way that you act, that can change the way that you treat people. There's something about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that can drastically influence your closeness in your relationships with other people and especially with Christ. There's something about the resurrection that can illuminate your path, give your purpose clarity, make everything clear, lift the fog from your eyes. Show you what it is that you have to do, give you your mission, give you your purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but the new year is right around the corner. Wouldn't you want to enter into the new year with clear purpose? Wouldn't you want to enter into the new year knowing what it is that God wants you to do, knowing your calling, The resurrection does that. Understanding the resurrection does that. Giving the resurrection of Jesus Christ its proper place in your life does that. But you have to do it. Paul says this really cool thing in his letter to Corinth, one of his letters to Corinth. And I really believe that it kind of drives the point of what it is that we're going to be talking about today together. It really drives the point. I want you guys to really pay attention to this. Paul writes this to the, uh, to the people of Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's very short. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. Just follow with me. Paul writes this to them. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. I didn't say that. Paul said that. That's what the Word says. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. How important do you think the resurrection is? At this time, there are some people in the city of Corinth that they were believers. They were kind of, you know, back and forth, but they couldn't wrap their head around the fact that Jesus had risen from the dead. And Paul was telling them, listen, if you have that mindset, if you can't wrap your head around the fact that Jesus was, that he died, was buried, and he res- if you can't wrap your head around that, if you follow that train of thought to its logical conclusion, this is where you end up. Why are we even doing this? Why are we even doing this? It's useless. The missionary journeys, useless. The baptisms, useless. Preaching, useless. Your faith, what you believe in, useless. But Paul doesn't leave them there. Because Paul begins to testify something so cool He says this to them later on in that same paragraph. He tells them this, but Christ has indeed been raised. How does Paul know that? From my understanding, when Paul came into the story, Jesus was already dead. How does Paul know this? It's easy. Paul met Jesus face-to-face on the road to Damascus. Paul met Jesus after he resurrected. And by the way, just so you know, as Paul was on his way to Damascus, his purpose on that road to go there was to kill other believers. It was to kill other followers of the way. The government had sent him out because the government said, hey, guess what? We killed the head of the snake, so to speak. Not that Jesus is a snake, but it's just a figure of speech. We killed the head of the snake. We need you, Paul, to go kill the rest of the body. And that's what Paul's mission was. That's what he was on his way to go do. But on that road, he encountered the living Christ. And from that point forward, his life was transformed. It was changed. Having that meeting with Christ all of a sudden gave him a drive and a passion unlike any other and that drive and that passion led him to say things that he to say the things that he said to do the things that he did to write the letters that he wrote something happened inside of him that changed him completely and the same thing that happened inside of him had also happened inside of the disciples when it came down to the resurrection this great awesome thing there are many can't get ahead of myself. There are many great things that happened because of the resurrection of Christ. You have passion. You have love. You have sacrifice. You have relationship. All of these things were pushing the mission of God forward. But there's one more thing that was needed. And it's this vital thing, this really cool, awesome thing that we are going to be talking about today. Can't tell you what it is yet. got to leave you hanging around a little bit. Can't have you falling asleep on your phone on Amazon. I know how you guys are thinking right now. But before we get into any of that, i got a story for you guys real fast. I had to verify this story. I have to be honest. I'm not going to lie. The year, 2006. No, the month, November. I'm at my house, 506 Clifton in Elizabeth. Woo-woo, Elizabeth. Right? I'm getting ready. I'm getting all spiffed out, kind of how I look like today, Pastor Harold. Right, I'm getting all spiffed out because there is about to be a momentous, life-altering occasion that is happening in my life. I'm going to go see a Casting Crown concert. Okay, That's not the life-altering situation. I was going to the concert, but that wasn't it. The fact is that this was the day, this was the night that I decided was going to be the night that I was going to propose to my wife. Right? So I'm in my room. I'm getting ready, dressed to the nines. I had hair back then, so I <laughs> slicked it back. Did my shape up, right? Because she loved the shape up, right? I had my blazer on, I had a nice little button down t shirt. I, I was, man, I'd go back to that. I was looking spiffy, man. It was great. I, had, I was looking at the ring. I saw the box that the ring was in. I placed the ring in the box. I closed the box. I put the box in my right blazer front pocket. But I forgot one detail. Whenever me and Jennifer take pictures, she always is on my right. Exactly. Whenever we sit down, we, we, we traveled up in a car together, right, with other friends, very close friends, very intimate friends. She, sat to my, she always sits to my right. So I had to strategically maneuver my wife the rest of the evening. I was like, oh, let go take a picture. Yep, on my left. Oh, be go sit down. Yep, on the left. Whenever she would come in to give me a hug, I'd be like, hey, side so pastor hug." Give her a hug just like that. And I had to because, listen, my wife is really smart, man. If she would have came to the room, she would have felt the, the, you know, the, the box. She would have figured it out. I wasn't going to spoil that for her. throw me, right? So uh, as awkward as it was, it was cool. So halfway through the concert, after a whole bunch of praising, after a whole bunch of worshiping, I excused myself, and I went to the bathroom. Splashed some water on my face. I told all my friends, hey, listen, when I get back, that's when I'm going to do it. Shook off some nerves, you know. You know, whatever. Had to get ready. You know, get the knee. Is it going to be this knee? Is it going to be that knee? I don't know how I'm going to do it. <sighs> so she got, I mustered up the courage. I mustered up some boldness. As I was going back, everything was like in slow motion. So I go up to her. I pull her to the side. And she's like, I'm trying to worship. I'm, like, I'm trying to tell you something right now. And I whispered something. That stays between me and her into her ear. I got down on one knee and I proposed. She said no. No, I'm fine. No, but she said yes. Obviously, she said yes. 14 years later, boom, baby, locked her down. Had to do it. Had to do it. But I have a confession to make. I do. I have a confession to make. I already knew the answer to the question. I did. You see, when me and Jennifer first started dating, about a month or two into it, I remember very vividly dropping her off at her house, bringing her to her front door, the gentleman that I am. And (laughs) thank you, son. Uh, And after I dropped her off, she was walking. I'm like, wait, 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 hold on. She's like, what? I looked at her, and I said, you know I'm going to marry you, right? She smirked. She looked back at me, and she said, Yeah, I know. And she walked in. Yo, after that, my confidence was poof, through the roof. I mean, think about it. I already know the outcome to the story, I already know it. My confidence was. Amazing at that moment. And from that moment to the moment that I proposed, there was no worries whatsoever about what the answer was going to be. I already knew she was going to say yes. I already knew the end to the story. That's awesome. Men, quick question, not question, advice. If you're thinking about doing that, you're not sure, don't do it. I've seen a lot of YouTube videos. I'm pretty sure you know what I'm talking about. Girls are like, no. and they run away. That wasn't going to be me. I had this overwhelming sense of confidence because I already knew the outcome. Has that ever happened to you? Not the running away part. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever walked around with that type of confidence? That you already knew the outcome to the situation that you were going to be in? That even though the situation can be a little nerve-wracking, even though it can be a little rattling, you were able to just shake it all off, muster up some courage, muster up some boldness, because you already knew the answer at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever had that type of confidence? It's amazing. We react very differently in situations when we have that type of confidence, don't we? For example... Have you ever walked into an interview for a job that you knew you were already going to get? That ever happened to you? How do you walk into that job? I got this. Ask me a question. Positive. I know exactly how to do this job. How do you act? You're laid back. You're more relaxed. Questions don't rattle you as much. You know the answers. You're calm. You're collected. You're smooth. You're patient. The reason why is because you already know you got that job right in your pocket. The overwhelming sense of burden and pressure that can be on your shoulders at that moment, whether or not you're going to get it, it's not there. Why? Because you already know that you got it. It's amazing what confidence can do to someone in certain situations. You've heard the saying before. I'm pretty sure you have. Wow, that person over there, they just ooze confidence. Man, that person, they have confidence coming out of their pores. Maybe you know somebody like that. Perhaps you are that person. I did a couple of research. I did, a couple, uh, a little, I did a little bit of research on confident people, and I found out a couple of things. I just want to share it with you guys real fast, okay? Just bear with me. It's four things really, really quick. It's not even that long, right? Things about confident people. People who are confident tend to have less anxiety. Why? They don't worry as much. They're confident. They're confident that the situation is going to turn out okay. So they, have, they don't have as much anxiety as the next person. Worry? Eh, not so much, right? People who are confident, second thing, people who are confident tend to take smarter risks. Notice how I said smarter risks, because that person sits there, they trust in the patience of their mentality to sit down and evaluate the situation better than most people. And they are able to take smarter risks. Third thing, people who are confident are more willing, check this out, people who are confident are more willing to move outside of their comfort zone and put into an uncomfortable zone. Why? Because they're confident in their ability to perform no matter where they're at. They're confident. The fourth and last thing, there's a whole bunch of others, but I had to narrow it down. The fourth and last thing, people who are confident are more likely to take immediate action when the time calls for it they're willing to just go with it because they know somehow some way they're confident enough to know that whatever the problem is they are going to help it get solved those are confident people maybe you can relate as you can see having confidence is an amazing thing but we have to be careful Because self-confidence is unsustainable. It's unsustainable. All it takes is one bad phone call. All it takes is one negative comment given to you by one of your peers or somebody that you look up to. And that confidence that you have takes a shot to the heart and it crumbles like a house of cards. I'm pretty sure you can think of some situations where something like that may or may not have happened to you. Where one moment you were riding sky high, confidently, knowing that everything was going to be great and good. And then all of a sudden, a situation didn't turn out in your favor and everything got shot down. And now all of a sudden, those four traits that I mentioned, the total opposite of it is now true. Now all of a sudden, instead of not having as much anxiety, all you have is anxiety. You're worried about what's going to happen, how the situation is going to turn out. You're unsure about a whole bunch of things. All of a sudden, you don't want to take any risks because taking a risk, oh, I'm not sure if it's going to turn out great, so I'm just going to stay here and not do anything about it. The benefits don't outweigh the cost, so you don't, you don't move, you don't budge. Out of my comfort zone? You think I'm going to go over there and do that? Nah, I'm good where I'm at right here. Immediate action, solving problems? I'm good. I got too much to worry about right now. I got too many things on my plate. I can't handle it. All it takes is just a few words or a certain situation not turning out in our favor, and our confidence can take a hit. It can. Self confidence is unsustainable. And whenever I start to think about this topic, and whenever I start to think about that specifically, I'm reminded of a particular individual in the Bible, and his name is Peter. But I'm reminded specifically, though, I'm reminded of Peter before the resurrection. I want to preface that, before the resurrection. Because you see, Peter, if you've read the Bible and if you've studied him a little bit, Peter was one of the most confident people in the Bible, He was always quick, spitfire, to give a response to any question or any comment that Jesus had. And the reason why was because he wanted Jesus to know that he was the guy that you can rely on. He was the guy that you can trust. He was the guy that would go to war with you. He wanted to let Jesus know that. And a lot of times, Peter would speak out of turn and would put his foot in his mouth. But it's okay, though, because he wanted to let Jesus know. And there's this this particular instance where he does this, and it's a little bit funny. um, Not so much when you think about the whole thing of it, but I think it really speaks to what it is that we're talking about right now. Right after the Last Supper and right before Jesus' arrest, Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he tells them this in Matthew chapter 26. He tells them this. This is Jesus talking to them. Then Jesus told them. This very night, you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Jesus right here is telling them, hey, listen, just so you guys know, I'm going to die. They're going to strike me. And all of you that follow me right now are going to be scattered around. You're not going to be here. You're going to run away. But don't worry. I'm going to rise afterwards. He's telling them about what his resurrection. He's telling them about his resurrection. But before sitting down and processing this, look what Pete, I can imagine. Peter, what, 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 what? And quick, Peter responds. Even if all fall away on account of you, I, Jesus. Me, Peter, just so you know, I never will. How confident is my boy right now? Boy, is super confident right now. But then Jesus responds to him. Truly, I tell you, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Peter, real quick, Pew! But Peter declared, even... If I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Talk about confidence. Peter here is reassuring Jesus that he will not be alone. That in his most trying times that are about to be ahead of him, Peter is reassuring him, I will be at your side through thick and thin, no matter what happens, Jesus. But little did Peter know. After Jesus was arrested and brought before the Sanhedrin in one of the most lopsided trials in human history, Peter was nowhere. He wasn't even close. He was outside in the courtyard, covered up in hiding. Matthew 26, starting at verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Didn't you just say that you were going to ride with him forever? Now? Then he went out to the gateway, verse 71, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath this time, kind of like an emphatic oomph, you know? I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them, them being the crowd, the disciples that were with Jesus all the time. Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Excuse me. Immediately, a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. Little did Peter know when it came down to his confidence and what he said he was going to do and how he was going to act when the moment arose, little did Peter know that all it would take was a little girl to ask him a question. All it took was for a situation to not turn out in his favor because Peter didn't think this would happen to Jesus, but it did. It was supposed to. It was written. All it took was for that. And Peter's whole world came crumbling down. I remember reading this a long time ago, and I remember a friend coming up to me and asking me, Eddie, you seem like a pretty confident guy. And I'm like, yeah. He was like, in your life, what has the potential to be that little girl? Because that little girl asked him a question, and it shattered his world. What little girl in your life? What metaphorical little girl in your life has the potential to shatter your world and break your confidence. Peter's immediate confidence, I'm sorry, Peter's immediate action turned into no action. He was filled with anxiety and worry about harm coming to him. The same harm that was happening to Jesus, he didn't want it happening to him, which is why he was quiet and far off in the courtyard instead of standing next to his Savior. He wasn't willing to go out of his comfort zone and stand next to Jesus. Why? Why am I going to take that risk? Look what's happening to him. Why have that happen to me if I can avoid it? Why? Because... Self-confidence is unsustainable. But I want to be clear about something. I'm not saying confidence is a bad thing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you have low confidence, you should have high confidence. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that either because if you take a look at Peter, Peter had super high confidence and look what happened to him. So it's not about the level of confidence that you have. It's not about that. If we can learn anything from Peter, we learn this. It's not about how much confidence you have. It's about where you place it. It's about where you place it, or better said, whom you place it in. Where do you have your confidence placed right now? Is it in yourself? Is it in your own abilities? Is it in what you can do and how you can handle the situation? Or is it in Christ? You see, Peter, although he had confidence, his confidence was misplaced. He should have placed it in Jesus and in the things that he said rather than in himself. Because as long as we place confidence in ourselves, guess what? We also have the potential to fail ourselves. We do. How many promises have you broken to yourself? How many lies have you told yourself in order to get out of something or to get into something? If we really think about it and if we're really honest with ourselves, knowingly or unknowingly, subconsciously or subconsciously, we are our own worst enemy. Believe it or not, if I could dare say it, we are really hard to trust. I will fail myself. I know I will. I'm being 100% honest. I will fail at some point. Believe it or not, I'll fail my family. And if you look back on your life, you have done that too. You have failed people. You have failed yourself. And I don't mean to say that like I'm jabbing at you. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just being honest. I failed too. Why? Because at those moments of my failure, my confidence was misplaced. It was in something that it shouldn't have been. Either in me or in something else that wasn't Christ. It's tough. Now, I don't know about you, but saying one thing and doing something else entirely, there's a word for that. It's another word, but you're close. I'm not going to say it. Very hypocritical, is it not? Saying one thing and then doing something else? To me, if we live our life like that and we continue to live our life that way, that's very, very Inconsistent. Making promises and breaking them, saying you're going to do something and then not doing it, being there for somebody, then not being there for them. Saying X, Y, and Z and then doing A, B, and C. That is a very, very inconsistent way to live. Who would want to live their life that way? Constantly up and down, up and down, being there, not being there, not following through, following through. That is a very tough life to live. This moment right here, this moment brought Peter so low that he wept after Jesus was crucified. And when he found out that it was buried, it shattered him. Fear and uncertainty now, because of his confidence was shattered, guess what was able to happen to his life? Fear and uncertainty was able to creep in, not just to him, but to the other disciples as well. Look what it says in John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of that first day of the week, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, check this out, with the door locked for fear of the Jews. With the door locked for fear of the Jews. When our confidence is misplaced, that's what we allow to enter our lives. Fear. But not just any type of fear, paralyzing fear. Fear that prevents you from making any type of progress whatsoever. What were the disciples doing? Were they outside preaching the word? Were they on the corner of the temples talking about Jesus? Were they talking about his miracles? Were they baptizing people at this time? No, they were in A room locked because of fear. They were in a room huddled together. Hope was gone. The light was put out. The meaning and purpose of it all had left them. There was no passion, no desire. As far as they were concerned, the movement that Jesus was starting had died when he did. Can you picture them? Can you picture them all huddled together? Shh, quiet, don't make a noise. They're going to hear us. I can picture all of them sitting on the floor, staying really still, staying very quiet because of fear. I can also picture them looking down at the ground, distraught and sad, because for them, it was all over. But it wasn't. It wasn't over. Three days later. Somebody say three days later. Three days later, later, Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. Praise God. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his disciples. He showed them the scars in his hands and the wound at his side, and he brought them the gift of the Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, certain things for the disciples that didn't make sense that Jesus was saying, all of a sudden, it did make sense. They were elated. They were overjoyed. They were, oh my gosh, I can't believe he's actually here. He did what he said he was going to do. There was a big understanding that came into their lives and it filled them at that point. Think about it. Jesus at one point told them, hey, listen, the temple is going to be destroyed, but I'm going to rebuild it in three days. At that time, they didn't understand what that meant. They're like, what do you mean? How can you, if this temple is destroyed, if this building is destroyed, how can you rebuild it in three days? Well, he's Jesus. He may, he walked on water. Maybe he can do it. No, he wasn't talking about that. He was talking about his resurrection. He was talking about his temple, his body. And the disciples all of a sudden now understood that. Can you imagine that? They were sitting there, distraught, sad, feared, feared, having fear filled with it. All of a sudden, Jesus walks through the door and says, hey, guys, what's up? I'm here. I'm back. Just so you know, I told you this was going to happen. And I'm here now. What an amazing moment. Everything Jesus had said and did was now amplified because the Savior had returned. They were excited. They were overjoyed. They were filled with this new sense of confidence. But the confidence was not in themselves. It was in Jesus. It was in Jesus. Why? Why was it in him now and not in them? Because everything he said he would do, he did it. And every promise he made, he kept. Death could not stop him and the grave couldn't keep him. Why was there confidence in Jesus now? Andy Stanley says it this way. I thought this quote was so cool. If someone is able to predict their death, burial, and resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to go with whatever that guy says. Think about that. If somebody is able to predict their death, their burial, and their resurrection and pull it off, I'm just going to do what that guy says. Listen, I conquered death. Dude, what do you want me to do? I'm there. I'm, I'm here. And listen, just to be very, very clear about it, real fact, just to be very, very clear, Jesus is the only one who's done that. You can, you, can, you can take a look at all different religions. I'm not bashing on them, but you can take a look at a whole bunch of different religions, a whole bunch of different prophets. A lot of them saying, I'm going to come back. I'm going to do this. going. Guess what? They're still dead. They're still in the grave. You can go visit their tomb. Jesus is the only one who said, hey, listen, I'm going to die, but don't worry about it because I'm coming back. And he did it. Isn't that amazing? Why wouldn't you want to follow something like that? I'm just going to do whatever that guy says. He has everything conquered. He has everything under lock and key. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows the present. I'm there, man. I'm doing exactly that. And that's exactly what the disciples did. They grabbed a hold of the mission of Christ and they pushed it forward. But how come they were able to do it now and not before? Paul gives us a really cool answer in Romans 6.5. Paul writes this. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Paul right here is talking about, I believe, two things. He's talking about, listen, if you give your life to Christ, if you follow the Lord, if you, in essence, die to yourself to follow him, guess what? The same way he rose, you will rise also. You will be in heaven in glory with the Savior if you dedicate and follow him and put Christ in the center of your heart. That's what will happen to you. The second thing, honestly, is that if you don't know Christ right now, if you don't know Christ, you are spiritually dead. You are. But the moment you believe in his son and accept him into your life as your Lord and Savior, you are no longer spiritually dead. You are spiritually alive. How amazing is that? Listen, when I die, I know where I'm going. I know the outcome of the story. I know it. There's no second-guessing. And just like I knew the outcome with my wife, I had this sense of courage and boldness. The disciples, now that they knew the outcome, they knew their mission. They knew the path they were supposed to walk. Jesus illuminated it for them. Now that they knew that what the outcome was for them, they were infused with this boldness and this courage and this confidence, not in them but in the Savior. And it allowed them to do amazing, wonderful things. They were able to shake off the moment, shake off the nerves, and push everything forward. Remember Peter before the resurrection? We just spoke about him like 10 minutes ago. I would like for us to just take a small little look. About to, uh, Peter, after the resurrection. Peter, at this moment in history, is now standing in front of a massive crowd. Jesus had already resurrected and had given them the gift of the Holy Spirit. And look what Peter says to the crowd. Look at, he, at how he addresses them in Acts chapter 2. Verse 29, fellow Israelites, Peter is talking to them, infused with the Holy Spirit. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently, say that word, confidently. Because I'm a nerd and I'm a geek, I had to look up the original meaning of this word in this text. I looked it up in the Greek, looked it up in the Hebrew. It's a really cool word, actually. That word confidently in the Greek is paresea. Say paresea. Sounds mad Hispanic, doesn't it? Right? But it's not. Parecea. Say it again. Parecea. The word means this the absence of fear. The absence of fear in speaking boldly. Cheerful courage. Boldness in the following. This is how Peter was talking confidently. Not because of him but because of who he had confidence in. Fellow Israelites, he says, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David was buried and his tomb is here to this day. You know David, the really cool king of Israel, right? David, David and Goliath, the David that we know, right? Peter is saying, hey, listen, just so you know, that famous king that we all love, he's still dead. We can actually leave this place right now and go visit his tomb. He is still dead. His tomb is here till this very day. But he was a prophet, and he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. That descendant being Jesus. Jesus is a direct descendant from David. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the what? Resurrection of the Messiah. Messiah that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead nor did his body see decay god has raised this jesus to life and we are all witnesses of it peter saw it with his own eyes all the disciples that were there they saw it with their own eyes it happened i'm telling you right now it happened it's not a fairy tale it happened Exalted to the right hand of God. He was received from the Father. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see now and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus. Check out some boldness right now. You want want to see some boldness? God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. This was Peter talking to a whole bunch of people. This was Peter talking in front of thousands. This is not the same Peter who wasn't able to answer a little girl. This wasn't the same Peter who wasn't able to answer a small little crowd. This was a different Peter. Something happened to him. Something changed him. Something was inside of him that enabled him to have this moment. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the resurrection. This wasn't the same Peter who denied Jesus. This was a Peter who knew the outcome. This Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. This Peter was a Peter who knew where to place his confidence. And because he placed it in Jesus, it infused him with this boldness and this cheerful courage, this pariseia. So much so that look at how the people responded to him. You think they would be mad. Oh, you accused me? You said that I crucified Jesus? I'm not listening to you anymore. No, no, no. Look at how they responded. Verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. I like that word. They were cut to the heart. Have you ever heard a message from the pulpit that cut you to the heart? Have you ever opened up your Bible and read it and there was a verse that jumped out and it cut you to the heart? I'm here to tell you right now that has nothing to do with the person that is speaking. Nothing. Has nothing to do with me, if you ever heard it from me. Has nothing to do with anybody who steps up on this stage. Has nothing to do with them. But it has everything to do with the Holy Spirit speaking through them to you. To you. That tug on your heart that you feel from time to time, that tug on your heart that you feel during a sermon, That's Jesus prompting you. That's Jesus calling you. That's Jesus saying, hey, pay attention to that. That's Jesus saying to you, if you take a hold of this, it can change the trajectory of your life. It could change every relationship you have. Fear and anxiety and worry will fade. Why? Why? of the resurrection, because of Christ. I'm telling you right now, if you feel it now, don't ignore it. Don't ignore it. After they heard that, it cut them to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Maybe you have that question in your head right now. Hey, Eddie, I I get it. Don't place confidence in myself or in other things or in other circumstances. Place my confidence in Christ. Wow, how do I do that? What shall I do? Peter replied, repent. Repent. That word repent means to make a 180. Not a 360, a 180. Turn away from something, head towards something else. Head away from self-confidence. Put your confidence in Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift. Merry Christmas. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you. Check this out. I love this. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Maybe this year, 2021, maybe this year has been a hard year for you. Maybe it hasn't been an easy year. Maybe your spiritual walk has faltered a little bit. Maybe you feel a little far off. Maybe things haven't been going your way or maybe they haven't been going in your favor and anxiety and worry is starting to build up. You can't see a light at the end of the tunnel. You can't see a period at the end of the sentence. You just don't know. There's so much uncertainty. Maybe at this time, you can definitely relate to the disciples who were locked in the room, fearful, with their heads hung low. Because there was no end. Could it be? Could it be that like Peter before the resurrection, your confidence is a little misplaced? You have the opportunity now to change that. You have the opportunity now to make a shift in your life. We have the opportunity now to grab a hold of the vital thing that Paul grabbed a hold of, that Peter grabbed a hold of, that all the disciples grabbed a hold of. The reality of the resurrection is this. Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because he rose from the grave. Every word he said, every command he gave, every lesson he taught, It's true. It is. Had he not, it would have been useless. But because he did, everything he said is true. The way of life that he wants us to live, the missions he wants us to carry out, the expression of his love that he wants us to impart on others should be done. Boldly, courageously, and confidently. Why? Because we know the outcome. We know the outcome. The disciples, because of their confidence in Jesus and because of the resurrection, they went forward and changed the world. You want to know how I know that's true? Because you're here right now. Had they not did it, we wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. I would not be married. The things that happened in my life would have never happened if the disciples didn't go out with this truth in their heart and carry it out boldly. This church would not be here today if it wasn't for that. How great would it be for you and for those you love if you did the same? To take this, the truth of the resurrection, it's just more than he rose from the grave. It's more than that. It gives us confidence, boldness, courage. It gives us that little extra oomph to shake off the nervousness and push forward the same way the disciples did after the fact. How many of you are willing to do something like that today? amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, we thank you for today, God. We thank you, Lord. We know that the promise of your resurrection, Lord, means so much more than what we think, my God. We're thankful, Lord, that we were able to go below the surface, my God, and figure out, Lord, that the resurrection should bring to us confidence, my Lord. Confidence in your son, my Lord. Confidence in your son that he did what he said he was going to do, my Lord. We already know the outcome, my God. We know the way the story ends, my Lord, because of your son, my God. And I pray, Lord, that as we enter into this new year, my God, I pray, Lord, from this point forward, Lord, that as we grab a hold of this vision of your resurrection, my God, that you would make our path clear, my God, that you would change the trajectory of our lives, my God, that we would enter into a new season, my God, of clarity, my God, of boldness, my God, of courage, my God. Because when we look at the example of those people, my God, not just the disciples, my God, but when we look at the example of those people who grabbed a hold of this my lord they changed the world my god not just their lives and not just the people around them my god but they changed the world my lord now i'm not calling you to change the world but believing in this can change your world it can bring you to a place where you and jesus are just chilling and doing the marvelous, wonderful works of his kingdom and pushing it forward. And believe it or not, when you do that, everything else in your life gets taken care of. All you have to do is focus on Christ, and Christ takes care of the rest. I pray that in everybody's life right now, my Lord. If you receive it, say amen. You know the outcome. Have a great week in God.
0: Christ Fellowship of Elizabeth is a Christian community whose mission is to love God, make disciples, and change the world. You can learn all about us by visiting cfofelizabeth.com. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at the Liberty Center in Elizabeth, as well as at various times throughout the week. If you'd like to see a video recording of the full worship service this teaching came from, you can watch On Demand on our YouTube channel, and you can join us live online every week by visiting cfofelisabeth.live. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. Make sure you subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher so you never miss an episode. See you next time.